This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our online family joins us on the internet as well. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. Again, welcome to all those who worship with us online as well. Uh, we just had, a, had an amazing week, as you just heard, with uh, 450 kids running around here and uh, having fun, learning different skills. And then he did a big presentation. The theme this year was making waves, hence the gigantic waves behind me. Anybody who watched online, what is that? It's a big wave. Your husband made this, right? Pastor Keith, and, and with some help. Yeah. I don't know how he did it. Big cans of foam or something? Spray foam. Impressive. No telling what it would look like if I had done it. Anyway. Uh, it, was, it was a great time. Quick reminder of how we do our offerings here at Celebration Church. On the seat backs in front of you, you'll see little offering envelopes. You can use those, those to put any checks or gifts or cash and give it to the ushers on the way out of the service this morning. Or you can go online and give that way. A lot of people have done that. We encourage people, if Celebration Church is your church, this is your church, you should go on and sign up for recurrent giving. It just happens automatically every Sunday or you can use your phone, use the Celebration Church app and give that way as well. Uh, as you all know, for uh, some years now, we started this about 15 years ago, um, we were pretty much just an, an evangelical church, uh, but then we started doing other things, starting to mix in more of the Pentecostal gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then some of the more liturgical sacramental elements as well. I uh, wasn't really aware that anybody else was doing this kind of thing. I thought it was just a weird hybrid thing. Uh, so uh, this is what we're doing. About four or five years ago, discovered that there are other churches doing this as well, uh, particularly in this country and around the world. Uh, and uh, they're called convergent churches. I never heard of it before. There's three major streams of Christianity, evangelical, 
Pentecostal, liturgical. And they tend to be one or the other, and only that. Well, a lot of churches are blending all of them together. They converge together and uh, take the best of all of it, which is what we've been doing. Uh, several years ago, I put a post out on my Facebook. I got about 300,000 people that follow me on, online. And uh, uh, I got uh, just one time post explaining what our church was like, because people were curious. And I started getting contact from all kinds of pastors. You've been meeting them over the last year or two as I've been introducing you, just from that one post, who have said, that's what we've been doing too. And I didn't know anybody else was doing this. I didn't know there was a word for it. I didn't either, you know. So what's kind of cool about it is it just feels like God's doing something. Uh, it's all happening. Nobody's controlling it. Nobody, it's just an amazing thing. One of the responses I got was a young man from Portugal. It's on the edge of Spain, little tiny country. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and uh, he said, we've been doing the same thing. He said, I didn't know any of us was doing it either. So we were talking and stuff. And I said, listen, why don't you come over here and visit us? And then COVID hit. So nobody could go anywhere. And then after a couple of years of that, earlier this year, he said, it's finally lifted. We get to travel again. I said, oh, great. Come on. And uh, he's here this morning. We're excited to have him and his wife, uh, Cecilia, uh, here this morning. And he's going to be sharing a message about how to connect with a pagan culture. He's from Europe. It's a major pagan culture over there. Europe used to be the center of Christianity for a thousand years, and then some. I mean, all of Christianity came out of Europe. Much of the traditions and stuff, virtually any denomination uh, in America, originally came from one of the churches in Europe. Today, they have swung the other end, and it's very rare to have, it's very difficult to preach the gospel over there because people got very secularized. Uh, and America's continually becoming secular. So you're going to share this morning how to present the gospel to a secular culture. Would you please make, welcome Joe Oliveira. That's not how you say it, but I can't speak Portuguese. <laughs> Portuguese. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Good morning to all of you. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, me and my wife, Cecilia, I forgot to introduce her, the first service. Good thing about having two services is that you get a second opportunity. So I'm redeeming myself. Thank you for this. Um, yeah, it's been great to be with Pastor Mark and Diana. It's such lovely hosts. And it's, it's been very good to feel your hospitality as well here in church, in Celebration Church. Um, yeah, um, we're from Portugal. It's a 10 million country. You know, you, I was uh, telling uh, Diana, I think, we could, you could cross the whole country from north to south. It's a little stripe next to Spain. You can cross the whole country in about seven hours or, or eight hours. So it's pretty, it's pretty small. Uh, but we have our own language, for example, which is great. We're not Spanish. We don't speak Spanish. We speak Portuguese. Um, we're very important in that sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm uh, also learning a lot from the American culture, from, I mean, Wisconsin culture in particular, I guess. I learned what cheese curds are. Uh, good, good, very good. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm a bit nervous because our church is a, a church of 100 people, so I'm used to have, uh, having a much smaller audience uh, and yeah, but uh, I had a tip from a dear 
sister, when I arrived, she said, just picture everybody in their underwear and you'll be all right, you relax. And I'm thinking, no, I'm, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'll go with nervous, yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, I want us to look at a passage today of the Word of God, because that's the really important thing. Um, it's not about the messenger, it's about, uh, it's about the message. And uh, in Acts 17, we find Paul in his second missionary journey. Uh, he had been visiting Philippi, and then he went on to Thessalonica, and then to Berea, and then he arrived in Athens. Um, and he, he was uh, ex experiencing some persecution in the previous cities, and in Athens he was alone. He was waiting for his team to join him because he had to rush uh, out of Berea. Um, and while in Athens, as he always uh, as we always see Paul doing, uh, he can't help himself. He was preaching the gospel and he was ministering to people. And so let's see what happens in Athens. What happens in Athens is, uh, is the title of our message today. Um, I'm very proud of this title. It's the, the most catchy title I've ever come up with for a sermon, I think. <laughs> and now you see how, uh, how little creative I am. Um, but let's, let's examine the way Paul ministered to that culture. And, and it's important for us to examine the way Paul ministers because uh, we need to learn how to engage our own culture uh, to be effective missionaries. God sends us, each one of us, each Christian, he send, each follower of Jesus, he sends us to be missionaries uh, where we are uh, and maybe to go to other cultures. Uh, but... He, we need to minister to people where we are, to minister to our own culture, and we can learn a lot from Paul. And why Athens specifically? Why this passage specifically? Because I believe, um, I believe, and I want to suggest to you this morning that our culture, like Pastor Mark was saying, is increasingly becoming pagan, like Athens was, like Athens was. Um, and I'll give you some examples of that uh, in a minute. But let's first read Acts 17 from verse 16. Uh, to 21. The later we'll run through the rest of the chapter, but let's, let's start with this passage. Athens 17, 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remar remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what, is, what this new teaching is that you are presenting? Uh, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So when Paul arrived in Athens, he was distressed uh, at the amount of idols or false gods he saw in the city. Uh, a Greek scholar of Paul's time, Pausanias, he wrote the following, there were more images of gods in Athens than in the rest of all of Greece put together. There it was easier to find a god than a man. So we see uh, Athens was a deeply pagan culture, and like Athens, worshiping all kinds of gods. And like Athens, our culture uh, is becoming pagan. We stopped believing generally in our culture. We stopped believing in one god. And now we believe in all kinds of gods, uh, in all kinds of ideas. 
we believe in things that make much more sense, apparently. For example, that the universe is uh, in some way responsible for things. Thank the universe, people say these days. Uh, the universe is trying to do something in your life. Uh, so, um, people believe all kinds of different ideas. And today we see countless examples of how our culture uh, is becoming pagan. In, in Europe, um, in Iceland, for example, uh, Nordic paganism is the fastest growing religion. They are actually, they're actually building a temple uh, to, the, to, to the pagan gods, to the Norse gods. It's now the largest non-Christian religion in the country. In Denmark, in 2016, they actually consecrated a temple to Odin uh, for the first time in a thousand years. Uh, and here in the US, I was doing a quick, a quick search, uh, we see the explosive rise of Wiccan or uh, witchcraft religions. Uh, in 2014, the Pew Research Center found that around, uh, around 1 to 1.5 million people identified as Wicca or pagan. Uh, that's a 70% rise from 2008. There, were, there was, there was 340,000 in 2008. So a 70% rise in just six years. Uh, like the Brit English journalist G.K. Chesterton says, when men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they'll believe in anything. And that's what happens in Athens, and that's where we are today. So we're living in Athens, basically, and increasingly becoming a culture like Athens in Paul's time. Uh, another reason our culture is so similar to Athens uh, of Paul's time is what we read in verse 21. It says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Athens was the center of knowledge. All kinds of scholars were there. Philosophers, rhetoricians, orators, painters, law scholars. But what did they care about? Just novelty. Just finding what the latest ideas was, were. And I think we can relate to that uh, in our age, the information age, the social media age. We're always looking for something new. Scrolling down, see what, what the latest idea is, and learning very little, if we're honest. Uh, so, Athens, that's where we live. The question is, how do we go about uh, living out our faith in this culture and sharing the gospel with people around us? Uh, what happens in Athens? The, the first thing you can learn uh, with this text uh, and from Paul is his heart. In verse 16, it says he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Uh, this Distressed is how NIV translates it. The Greek word can be translated as troubled, provoked in the spirit, deeply disturbed, angered, um, with indignation. So it's a mix of feelings uh, in Paul's heart at this, at this point. Uh, and what do we learn? He's touched by the evil he sees. He's not indifferent. Uh, and, and that's what our heart needs to be. We need to have Jesus' heart for the lost, like Paul had Jesus' heart. Uh, we, need, we need God's grace to transform our hearts so we can be touched and we can be sensitive to the evil around us. Uh, our call is to suffer with those who suffer, and we need to remember that, to have the heart of Paul, to have the heart of Jesus. Uh, but, of course, our, this, this sensitivity, this sensitive heart, it, it has to translate into something else. And it did in Paul's case. It, uh, Paul was not, was not limited to, what, to feelings. No, he went, he took action. He took action. So this is the second thing we learn. Action, 
Something needs to happen. Uh, so Paul, in verse 17, he responded, in, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. So we see that Paul he got involved. He got involved with people. He went to meet people where they were. It wasn't just, oh, the, the world is completely lost. I'm, I'm done with this. No, he took action. He went uh, to meet people where they were, not just religious people, uh, not just to the synagogue. He went to the marketplace where all the awful pagans were. You know, he went, he, he, he went to, to the people that were completely different from him, that had completely different views that, than he had. Uh, but he went there and he, he, he went to meet him, to meet them. Uh, he didn't live in a Christian bubble. Uh, he, 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 was, uh, he was going to where people were. And in verse 18, we see some response he got from some philosophers that were there in Athens, uh, the Epicureans and the Stoics. So uh, they began to debate with Paul. Um, and who were these philosophers and what were their philosophies? Really quickly, the Epicureans, they believed the gods were distant, inaccessible, immortality did not exist, nor any kind of judgment beyond earthly life. So according to this philosophy, uh, it's up to man to make the best of his life and um, seek as much pleasure as he can get. Um, and so many of them uh, lived unruly lives, indulging in all kinds of pleasures and immorality, just looking to do whatever they felt. Is this familiar to us, this philosophy? Does this ring any bells? Uh, it's the YOLO philosophy, isn't it? You only live once. Uh, so there's no God. Uh, there, there may be no tomorrow. There's no eternity. So do whatever you feel. And don't wait for tomorrow. Do it today. So um, there's indeed nothing new under the sun, is there? And the Stoic philosophy, uh, it's, it was a different philosophy, but familiar to us today as well. Uh, they believed in a higher power, which was above all and ordered the, the, the visible world. For the Stoics, the ultimate end of life was happiness, but not like the Epicureans. They, they thought happiness would be achieved when you would conform to the natural order. Uh, they had interesting thoughts. For example, uh, you need to accept things you can't change, and you need to strive to change things that, you, that indeed you can change. It seems wise, seems an interesting idea. Uh, the problem with this philosophy is it didn't include a personal God. There was no God. Uh, just a natural order, abstract order. Uh, it's basically a self-help philosophy. Uh, a self-help philosophy like our culture is flooded with. Now, interesting thoughts, interesting things, but it's up to you. No personal God, no intervening God. It's, it's up to you to be wise and uh, have the best life you can have. Uh, there's no eternity as well. So, uh, and they didn't know anything about personal sacrifice. They didn't know anything about um, uh, sacrificial love for others. They were really self-centered. They thought um, toxic people, no, leave those toxic people uh, and let's just, uh, we don't want them ruining our bliss. We don't want them ruining our peace. So, um, leave, leave those that suffer alone and let's have the best life that we can have. Is this familiar to us? Yeah, yes, it is. We live in Athens. Uh, so how did the Epicureans and Stoics respond to Paul? Normal reactions in Athens. 
Some of them asked, verse 18, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, it's a very normal response today in our culture, isn't it? Uh, we're talk we have an explosive message of salvation through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, a revolutionary message. But we, we preach that to people, and what did they, how, did they how did they respond? Oh, babbling. You're just babbling. We don't, we're not interested in your ideas about the supernatural or spiritual things. Uh, so uh, the gospel is a completely alien message for Paul's uh, audience in, in, in that time, and it's becoming more and more alien. Um, in Europe, it certainly is, and it's, it's, the, trend is, the trend here is the same. Um, although, uh, fortunately, it's not like Europe yet. I hope it never gets there. Uh, but the, that's what the tendency uh, appears to be. So, how did Paul proclaim the gospel message? That's the third thing we can learn about Paul. The first, he had a heart for the lost. The second, he took action. And the third, how did, how did he preach his message? Let's, let's get inspired by did, how, how Paul preached. Uh, we're not going to mimic it. We're not going to write it down and have it exactly... Uh, speak the exactly same words, but we're going to be inspired by it and apply it in our own uh, ministry with people around us. Uh, so in verse 19, Paul was taken to the Areopagus. The Areopagus was a kind of court where the most respectable members of Athenian society were judging cases of, for example, immorality, murder, and subversive religious ideas. There were about 60 members in a typical Areopagus meeting, all, all members, very important people in Athenian society, and also a, lot, a crowd, a crowd made of, of people who were very interested uh, in what were, was happening, the topics being discussed. Uh, so let's see the content of Paul's message and learn from Paul's approach. Verse 22, he stood in the meeting uh, in the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, Paul could have said, repent you, Ethans, you sinners, God hates you. Um, but but he, he wasn't aggressive. He was very respectful. He was very kind in the way he addressed them. Uh, he chose to be highly diplomatic. Uh, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious or superstitious, some translations say. Again, we're not, Paul reminds us that we're not called to attack people. We're not called to be mean to people. We're called to be kind to people around us, even if they, uh, if they, even if they insult us, even if, even if they call us babblers, even if they don't care about us or have very different and awkward ideas and views, uh, we're called to respectfully address them and be kind to them. It's, it's so hard to do that these days, isn't it? We're, we're living in such a polarized world. It's very hard not to get caught up in an aggressive rhetoric, uh, but we need to be better than that as Christians. Uh, so what, what does Paul do next? He builds bridges with the culture. How does he do that? He tells them about an altar to some unknown God, which becomes the gateway to announcing the one true God. Verse 23, uh, he says, as I, walk, as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So it's a bit shocking, isn't it? He uses a, a statue of a pagan god as a bridge to present 
the one true living God. Uh, it's out of the box, isn't it? That's what we're called to be. We're called to be out of the box, uh, to be creative. And God will, will, will inspire us. God will, will give us uh, approach, fresh approaches. Um, and, and in verse 28, Paul quotes uh, Greek poets. He quotes the poets of their culture. He, he establishes a connection with people. He speaks about things that were familiar to them. Uh, and it's, it's important for us to know the poets of our culture. Uh, to know the artists of our culture, to know the musicians, uh, the, the filmmakers. Uh, can we co quote uh, those, those poets in our culture to establish points of connection with other people around us and then use that to present the true living God? I don't know how it, how it was with you, but with me, uh, when I, got, uh, when I uh, received Christ as my Lord and Savior, uh, I was in a context where, where it was not good to listen to secular music. Uh, it was not good to uh, have a lot of secular friends. Don't get along with pagans very much. Just stick to church people. And, and so we lived in a kind of bubble. And it's not good for us because we miss out on incredible opportunities uh, of uh, getting to know our culture and use that as a connection with people around us to speak of things that are familiar to them and then go from there to presenting the one true living God. So, of course, we cannot limit our approach to building bridges. It's good to build bridges, but then something else needs to happen. Uh, God is, is uh, there's, there's points of contact, there are similarities, but then there's a world of difference. And Paul proceeds to speak about those unique attributes of God that set God apart from all pagan deities, all, all pagan idols, all that was familiar to, to the Athenians. Uh, and let's quickly go through the rest of the text to see those unique attributes of, of God that separate him from the idols. From verse 24, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. So God alone is sovereign. He made the world and everything in it is. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the Lord and is not limited to temples like the pagan idols. Uh, 25, verse 25, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need to be served like the pagan idols. He doesn't need to be picked up. He's not a statue to be picked up and put in a shrine. Uh, continuing, rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God, by his grace, he gives life to everyone. He's the sole giver of life, uh, unlike the pagan deities. Verse 26, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. God is the creator of man and, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God, God is the creator of man and he rules over history. Uh, verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God is personal, he is near to all. He is not distant, like the Epicureans thought. Uh, he is not just a mere natural order, abstract. No, he's personal, he's here. He's waiting for us to reach out to him because he's near and he's reaching out to us. Uh, and verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. He's omnipresent. He can't, he's not limited to a place. He's everywhere. 
Uh, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, is not an image made by human design and skill, is not a pagan idol, is the one true living sovereign God, transcendent God. Uh, so this is, this is the shocking part of our message. It's not it's the least pleasant part of our message. It's good when we build bridges, uh, people are identified, they can relate to what we're saying, but then comes the contrast. And it's a bit violent, it's a bit shocking. And there's more. There's an even, an even bigger scandal in Paul's message uh, when he calls for the audience to repent. Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So God commands all people everywhere to repent. He commands people to repent. He's not asking people, oh, please give me an opportunity. Maybe I could change your life. No, he's commanding people to repent. Uh, he's not saying, try me on, see if I fit See if I fit your, your life. See if I fit. No, he's saying, I command you to repent. Uh, it's not pleasant to say these things, but the Christian message has this. We, uh, we were talking about repentance uh, in the creed. This, this is the message. There's judgment and we need to repent. So, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. So Paul, he presents the resurrection of Christ as the proof of everything he was saying. The resurrection of Christ is the proof that there's, a, uh, that, that there's eternity, that death was conquered, that God is sovereign over all, that he, he, he conquered all the enemies of man. And it serves as a proof that there's a judgment to come. There's a resurrection and there's a judgment to come. So... Uh, con contrary to what the Epicureans and the Stoics and the philosophers defended, there is more than this life, and we need to uh, take into account eternity. Uh, so what we do here has eternal significance, and it's very important to include this in our message uh, to others, when we minister to others. Uh, so this is a message pointed straight to the heart and mind of that culture. Uh, it's, it's not, Paul was not parroting a message. He didn't have a formula uh, that, that he parroted anywhere he would go. No, he had a specific message, and that's what we need to do. We need to look at our culture, look at people before us, and address them where they are. So, um, of course, we, we won't be having many opportunities like Paul was having to be in front of all the respectable members of the society. Uh, many, most of us won't have that opportunity. So we're called to, to minister to our friends, to our colleagues, uh, to our family, to our neighbors. Uh, where God puts, puts us, that's where we need to minister. And to wrap this up, there's one more thing we can learn. Uh, responses. What responses did Paul get in Athens and what responses can we expect to get in our own Athens? Um, Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want, to hear about, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and a woman named Damaris and a number of others. So the responses in 
pagan Athens are often not very encouraging. You know, Paul preached this message. Some people just sneered. Some people just mocked what he was saying. Um, anyone been getting this kind of reaction? Yeah, it's normal because we're living in Athens. Uh, uh, it, or maybe people say, like they said to Paul, oh, well, well, that's interesting, we'll hear about that in some other time, and then they never want to hear about it again. We, we get these responses all the time, at least in our context. Uh, so a few of them believed, though. Um, two are named, Dionysius and Damaris. Damaris, nobody knows who she is. She was probably someone familiar to Luke's readers when he was writing Acts. Uh, but Dionysius was an Areopagite, which means he held a very important position in Athenian society. And Eusebius, uh, a church historian of the third century, uh, he places Dionysius as the bishop of Athens. And there in the place where Paul preached, Mars Hill, uh, today we find the Basilica of Dionysius. So few converts, few uh, it, not much meets the eye, but great fruit. So, and we need to focus on uh, not what meets the eye more and more. We need not focus so much on the numbers. In pagan societies, people will, uh, will sneer, will mock us, will mock our message, but we need to focus on the potential. There's one person can have a deep impact and influence in the culture. So, what happens in Athens? Uh, first, uh, we need to have a heart for the lost, like a, a heart, the heart of Jesus for the lost. Uh, second, we need to get involved with people. We need to take action, like Paul did. Third, we need to preach the gospel, speaking to the, per, to the people's reality, uh, and not just a formula, not just parrot the, the message. And we need to be prepared to get all kinds of responses and leave the rest to God. We're not called to change people. We're called to preach the gospel and God will do his work and the Holy Spirit will do his work. So let's pray because we need God's grace, right? Uh, this is not something we can do with human uh, resources. Uh, we need Holy Spirit. We need God's grace and we need his power. Amen. Let's pray then. Father, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, fill us with your power to live like missionaries in our culture. Remind us daily um, that our, call, our calling is to minister to people around us. Inspire us with your word so we can inspire others. We want to see many come to faith, um, but we will celebrate each, each and every precious life that you save. Uh, we, we don't see everything, uh, but we trust you that you can use just one single life uh, to have influence over the culture, over, over countless others. So uh, we pray for your blessing uh, over us as we minister to people. We pray for this church. We pray that you bless this church, bless Pastor Mark, his wife Diana, all the leaders of this church. Bless and anoint each member of this church to be a minister of the gospel so that this city can be shaken by your power and that this city can know that you are the one true living God and that your son, Jesus Christ, is Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Bless you.
sitting down the other day, he goes, you know, he says, he says I, I think you're old enough to be my dad. <laughs> so, actually, I have two children older than you. <laughs> Shut up. Anyway, okay, so, thank you. It's great. Young men, right? Standing up for God and proclaiming the gospel all over the world. It's a beautiful thing. Something we want to encourage. We're going to turn to our time of communion now as we wrap up our service. This is when we turn our attention to what all of this is about. Jesus Christ died on that cross 2,000 years ago. He, his body was broken so we could be made whole. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. And that's what we think about when we take communion. And the Bible says before we do this, we should examine ourselves. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we reflect together. How you doing? How was your week? Where are you at with God? make mistakes and stuff. Now's a good time to set things right with him. Let me pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in thought, word, or deed, something that we did that we should not have done, maybe something that we left undone that we should have done, if we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved others as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we pray, have mercy on us and forgive us of all of our sins. And while heads are bowed and people are reflecting, uh, maybe you're here this morning and say, you know, I, I've never re really had this experience in my life, what you guys are talking about. I've never really encountered Jesus Christ in my life. You can this morning, whether you're sitting here in this church or you're watching us uh, online. All you have to do is ask, Jesus, in your own words, ask him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins. And you can take your first steps of faith this morning. Amen.